0: Happy Friday, happy Brewers Outlet Day, everybody, as we welcome everyone to the show. Today's show is indeed brought to you by our great friends at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. It is the holiday season. Thanksgiving is coming up just a few weeks away. Christmas really is just a few weeks away. You need to start stocking up for the holidays now, and you need to start thinking about holiday gift cards now as well at Brewers Outlet. And just to stock up for this particular weekend with a lot of college football and pro football going on, you want to sit in front of that big, beautiful, flat-screen TV and watch your games, do so with plenty of beverages. They have the best selection of beer, imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection anywhere, wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day in the pickle bar, all together now is second to none, led by the Barrels, led by the Dills, two of my favorites off that pickle bar at Brewer's Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. I'm in the Sunbury Motors studio, Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury, Sunbury Motors Kia Routes 11 and 15 in Hummel's Wharf tomorrow, Penn State football, Nittany Lions, and Michigan State at Spartan Stadium in East Lansing. Kickoff set for noon tomorrow, and we'll be on beginning at 10.30. Also, don't forget, Bucknell's at home tomorrow at Christie. Big matchup for them. Finally, after a three-game road trip. First time they've played at home in five weeks. It'll be great to have them home again tomorrow as well. As uh, as, uh, they take on Lehigh tomorrow. Should be a really good matchup between the two of them. High school football coming up tonight. Playoff time. Uh, you'll hear Shikolimi at home with Athens tonight. 7 o'clock the kickoff and 6.30 the airtime. Shikolimi at home this evening. Jersey Shore will be at Sealands Grove. That will be on Eagle 107 at 7 o'clock. That's a 6 o'clock airtime. And Lewisburg is at Loyal Sock. That's on 100.9 the Valley beginning at 7 o'clock with a 6.30 airtime this evening. Now, as you have know over time, there's, of course, the Ron Moeller tailgate is legendary. And now the uh, Tom McGrath tailgate. Uh, run in part by Gary Goloshevsky, is also now become a world-famous tailgate. Well, Penn State's on the road this weekend, and uh, so is Gary. Now, I want to wish, and the reason I've set this up, is I want to wish Amy and Gary Goloshevsky all the best. They're in the Indianapolis Marathon this weekend. Amy is a great runner, so we wish them the best. I mean, Amy's out there, they're out in Indianapolis, for the marathon. So we wish them nothing but the best. All right. Bob Nightingale, Dick Girardi, Chris Soleri, Detroit Free Press, Neil Coolong, all on today's show. We'll talk baseball next with Bob Nightingale of USA Today here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. patronage welcome back to the sunbury motors studio great to have you with us sunbury motors 4th street in sunbury sunbury motors kear routes 11 and 15 in hummels wharf and of course, today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket, imports, domestics, microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere, wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day, and the pickle bar is indeed second to none, led by the barrels and the dills. Penn State Football tomorrow, Nittany Lions at Michigan State big game for Penn State. Noon tomorrow will be on the air with the Eats and Watson tailgate show beginning at ten thirty tomorrow morning baseball. Hot stove time underway. Justin Upton's already signed with the Angels. 49 other players also did uh, put their name in for free agency today. Bob Nightingale of USA Today has always been very generous with his time with us and joins us now. Bob, welcome. Thanks so much for the time.
1: Sure, my pleasure. You.
0: you watched this uh, seven-game passion play play out. Now you've had a chance to Take a few breaths and reflect. What are your thoughts?
1: Yeah, it was just a uh, yeah, very entertaining World Series, you know. It was it well pitched. Uh you know, the relievers really struggled. But yeah, just a uh, uh a fabulous, a uh, a fabulous series And a uh, in the best team won. I mean Houston was a, a great team. Uh you know, near, you know, 101 wins. And uh you got Justin Verlander at the trade deadline. So it's just a uh this seems to be around for a while. This seems to it seems to be very scary.
0: You mentioned uh, Verlander and Verlander once he got to Houston went on a pretty good roll. Now he didn't win a game in the World Series, but he was a big reason why they won the thing. Emotionally and as a veteran presence, what do you think he meant in that clubhouse with those young players?
1: Well, I think he just picked everybody up in the sense where, hey, we're going for it. You know, when the uh, there's no way that they're going to win the division with or without them, but they weren't going to advance the World Series without them. I think he just picked everybody up from you know Dallas Keuchel to the position players, Charlie Moore, Uh Just to, it took the load off the other starters, and having a veteran guy like that, uh, I, I just think everybody got so excited that hey, the front office believes in us that we can do it. So so let's do it.
0: There is a point in the World Series, Yuli Gurriel, which you wrote about in USA Today. Rob Manfred was really faced with that first moment as a commissioner where he's got something really touching and significant to deal with. How do you think he did?
1: Yeah, you know, I think he did fine. I know there's a lot of criticism, like, I needs to be suspended during the World Series. But, you know, there's only a few games up in the World Series. I mean, you spend them for one game. You know that would be like a fifty million, fifty million dollar. I'm sorry, a fifty game suspension. By suspending him during the season, you know those those fines or uh, penalties have usually been two days. So this is two and a half times, you know, the biggest. So five day penalty, and without pay, three hundred thirty thousand dollars. If he got paid during the World Series. Uh, it would, you know, it would have just been a, uh, you know, no money out of his pocketbook. So, and I, th- I think he paid a price anyway. Just all the uh, embarrassment and the way he was booed at Dodger Stadium. Uh, you know, he's going to have to live this thing for a while.
0: How much do you think the commissioner's decision was helped by the class with which you, Darvish, handled it?
1: Oh, I think big time, Steve. I think if Darvish had handled it differently, I think he would have had a. Uh, serve a game suspension in the World Series. I mean, the fact that he said, hey, that's fine, uh, you know, it, it, it's not the first time he, he's, uh, that's happened. He kind of grew up with that in, uh, in Japan, uh, with his dad, Iranian. So yeah, I think, it was, I think some of it was a cultural difference as well, but Gabriel not quite understanding, uh, either what, what some of the words, what, what some of the words meant
0: uh three-run leads meant nothing during the course of this uh you talk about the entertainment part that's the long ball part of it uh, is that a, a part that you enjoy or do you like do you enjoy the strategy part what do you enjoy what's good baseball to you bob
1: well i enjoy the uh, strategy and uh, great pitching and just uh, the game well played uh you know the games in Houston were so entertaining uh you know game 5 we're talking about but yeah, at some point they really feel like real baseball when guys are hitting you know one handed home runs, uh, you know, balls flying everywhere. You know, it just looked like a, uh, you know, a pinball machine out there. What was going on? And so, yeah, as entertaining that was, you know, it wasn't like real baseball.
0: Uh, when you look at AJ Hinch, you have to get by with what you have. Uh, he had to use a starter to close out Game Seven of the American League Championship Series, four innings, and he had to use a starter to close out Game Seven of the World Series uh, between Good uh, Collars and then Charlie Morton last night. What kind of interesting dynamic was was it for you watching how that how each one of those played out?
1: Yeah, it was a uh fascinating what Morton did. I mean they, uh, he won McCullers in games three so again for game 7 because he's a tough kid. And turn up Morton would have been the better choice, you know, going three and uh three and seven himself. But he came in, rescued McCullers who had been struggling with his control and uh and really pitched lights out. I mean, if he had started the game this, this guy might have gotten seven or eight things as it was, even a short short rest.
0: Now we know Kershaw came in the game and pitched well. The one part that surprised—were you surprised at all that Morrow only got one batter, and because he was the next guy up, uh, due up in the in the bottom half of the inning? Were you surprised by that early in the game?
1: Well, I know he's been worn out and stuff. Uh, you know, he could have, but needed a pinch hitter. these course some runs there, and uh, you know, as it turned out, it didn't matter because Kershaw went four innings. So if Kershaw got hit around. Yeah, it would have been a mistake. But I think that bullpen's so, so spent. And I think they're, they paid a price in game, two when they took out Rick Schill way too early when he was pitching well. Their bullpen never recovered.
0: We know analytics plays a big role in, in how the Astros were built, and obviously it's playing some role in how the, how the Dodgers go about their work. Has it been an adjustment? Now, look, analytics goes back to the beginning of time. I mean, you hit three forty-three at the plate, that's analytics. If you break it down further as a way to do against lefty and righties, that's analytics. So you and I both go back, and we've always had those kind of numbers. Has it taken an adjustment for you at all, Bob, or has it been easy for you to get used to how analytics work in today's game?
1: Well, it's adjustment, and some of it doesn't make sense. I mean, when you pay, say, Jason Hayward, you know, getting $180 million just to play defense and get six home runs, then you have a guy like Justin Upton, you know, who uh cranks 35 home runs is making a lot less money. You still, uh, I think, sometimes analytics get caught up on uh, not knowing a person's character, personality, uh the clubhouse culture. And those things are important. You know, and I think analytics also pays too much weight uh, on base percentage. You know, it's like you so got to score runs and drive them in. It doesn't matter how many times you're on base if you're if you're standing there without doing anything else. So, you know, uh, you know, Alex approach. You know, the, the best player in analytics history would be Eddie Goodell. you know, remember the, uh, the little, the little <laughs> midget who got a walk and a thousand
0: on base percentage. <laughs> <laughs>
1: <laughs> exactly <laughs> Oh my <laughs> goodness! I, I see Bill Beck now
0: say, "Yeah, yeah, that's like that's right, Bob." <laughs> <laughs> right, right. Bill
1: Beck was a genius.
0: <laughs> yeah, he's a genius. He was an he knew he knew sabermetrics long before anybody else. <laughs> <You're> right, right. <laughs> uh, you know. I was, I was doing a, a game, I, you know, besides Penn State football and basketball, I also in the summer I'll do minor league baseball at the State College Spikes of the Cardinals affiliate, and Ali Marmel, who's now the first base coach for the Cardinals, was managing the team. And they got to a game where a guy that I felt, just based traditionally, that I thought was a first or second place hitter, or maybe a nine, if you want to turn the order around, he was batting him sixth. So I asked him one day why are you batting him six? And he said, Well, he said in analytics and this he's talking about the front office now, talking to him, the number two and six spots in the batting order are really important. For me, Bob, that's an adjustment trying to think that way because traditionally I don't think that way. What about you with batting orders being determined, pitchers going through the third time of the order and things like that?
1: Yeah, I mean, you know, like the third time of the order, that's where they took up, you know, Rich Hill. And uh, yeah. Rich Hill had the lowest, you know the best uh lowest batting average maybe in baseball going through the order three times. Yeah, I think what it looks does is just run by computer. It takes away kind of what you're seeing with your own eyes and, and stuff like that. I mean I don't I don't need to see a computer or Scousy a computer, say, uh you talking about exit velocity and things like that. Hey, when a when a guy gets a line drive, I I know it's good exit velocity. You know, sometimes those things start. you. It's like, you know, with the way that exit velocity is now, a a guy gets penalized if he he has one or two blue pits in a game. I mean, it's better to strike out if you're exit velocity. Right. Uh, Right. So, yeah, some of that stuff is out of control. And I think, you know, we're seeing the managers just don't have the same power as they used to. And some of these things are being run by front offices, Uh, you know. Well, well, let's watch to see who the Yankees hire as a manager. You know, I guarantee you, someone that's going to be just you know taking direction from whatever they want the lineups to be and everything else.
0: Yeah, and that was going to actually be my next point, Bob. I was wondering, is Joe Girardi, in some ways, not completely, but in some ways, a victim of not being in an analytics era guy?
1: You know the funny thing is he kind of is. I mean he's he's into it uh, a lot more than other guys. Uh, but yeah, but he won. I mean Dusty Baker. Yeah, he's not in a good guy, but he won ninety five and ninety seven games and two division titles. So some of the stuff is just it, it, it doesn't make sense.
0: Okay, what's the off season going to be like? There's not a lot of off season here. Obviously the winter meetings are coming up in Orlando and a bit, and there's going to be free agency and so forth. But is this uh, will be a little bit of a time for you to decompress a bit? And if so, how do you?
1: Yeah, it just uh, never ends, really. I mean, the uh, uh, the GM meetings start in a week in, in Orlando. Two weeks later, you have the winter meetings. Uh, so you still have the hot stove thing. I mean, even you know, this morning I get a call at uh, nine fifteen and say, "Hey, okay. uh, by the way, we're about to sign uh, Justin Upton to his uh, his new contract." You know, I just woke up in the World Series and now <laughs> it's the uh, the uh, hot stove league. <laughs>
0: Bob, you know, we've seen what's happened with the NFL. The NBA's done done better as well. What do you think baseball's positioned itself now, especially after the last two, you know, seasons where the Cubs won dramatically, the Astros won dramatically, it was entertainment. What do you think baseball is now, right now?
1: Uh, you know, I think with the way – I do think the ball's juiced. But I think the way the baseball was, the high-scoring games, um, I think it's very popular. I mean, they – uh no, TV ratings were high, not as high as the Cubs a year ago, but still very high. Uh, you know they had some weather problems this year with a lot of rain, but still, top tennis to is you know top five or top six of all time. So I think it's very, uh, very popular sport. And you know, and you watch in you uh, watching about uh, two weeks here, we're going to see the implementation of a, a pitch clock, uh, limit business amount, and everything else. So we're going to try to speed this thing up.
0: And I want to ask you about that. Is that. Between that possibility and then fewer mound visits, which are essentially your timeouts, is it something you endorse and is good for the game, or are you okay with the pace of what we're seeing?
1: Uh, I'm okay with the pace. You know, I mean, that, that game we had in uh, the 10-inning uh, the game in Game 5, it was uh, almost five hours, but it was enter- entertaining five hours. I mean, it was a, a blast to watch. And What slows it down, of course, if you have a well pitched game and a uh that catcher goes a mound uh, incessantly. That that there's no need for that. Sometimes uh that can really slow the game down. You know, I, I think the pitch clock I don't think I don't think it's that big a deal. And I, I do think that pitchers will get will just in a hurry because 'Cause you're talking about the guys that come up and they have been them and pitching with it. They say they said you get used to it.
0: Absolute pleasure. I know uh, you had to take some time the day after doing a lot of work to come on the show and talk with us, and I appreciate it very much. Great respect for your work, Bob. Thank you so much. Sure, my pleasure. Thanks, Dave. Bob Nightingale, USA Today. We appreciate his time very, very much. Next half hour, we'll take a look at the Nittany Lions in Michigan State. Chris Soleri covers Michigan State for the Detroit Free Press. He has always been very generous with his time with us. We look forward to hearing from him. In just a few moments. Bottom of the hour, time for news. Today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. We're in the Sunbury Motor Studio. Great to have you with us today on this Friday here on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Sports talk where your voice counts. This is the Steve Jones Show on News Radio 1070 WKOK. Now from the Sunbury Motor Studio, here's Steve Jones. Welcome back, Sunbury Motors Studio, here on this Friday. Sunbury Motors, 4th Street in Sunbury. Sunbury Motors Kia, routes 11 and 15 in beautiful Hummel's Wharf. And of course, today's show brought to you by Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in Sunbury, the beverage supermarket. You know, I'm I mentioned Sunbury Motors. Great time to think about buying that holiday car. It's also a great time at Brewer's Outlet to think about getting those holiday gift certificates from Brewer's Outlet. Imports Domestics, Microbrews, best selection of beer anywhere. Wine coolers, water, soft drinks, snacks. They roast their peanuts fresh and hot every day. The bags are right there at the register. And the pickle bar is indeed, yes, all together now, car. Office wherever you may be, the pickle bar is second to none. Thanks for joining in. Led by the Bill, the uh, Dills, and the Barrels, at Brewers Outlet, Reagan Street in summary, the beverage supermarket. I shouldn't have mentioned the Bills after the thrashing they took last night. The They of the New York Jets, thirty-four to twenty-one. And it wasn't even that close. Uh, the Bills scored fourteen points late when it was thirty-four to seven at one point. All right. Playoff time tonight here on news radio 1070 WKOK. It'll be Athens and Chickalimie. Kevin Hur and the coach Dick Hort with the call. 630 the airtime, 7 o'clock the kickoff. Meanwhile, over in Eagle 107 tonight, it'll be Sealand's Grove against Jersey Shore. 7 o'clock the kick, 6 o'clock the airtime. Don't forget Sean Carey, area's best post game show afterward on Eagle 107. Not only I think it's the best high school football post game show in the state. Let alone just the area. That's, you know, statewide, I haven't heard a better one statewide. And on 100.9 The Valley tonight, Loyal Sock will be at home taking on Lewisburg this evening on 100.9 The Valley. And don't forget Bucknell football tomorrow at home. They've got Lehigh tomorrow. Finally back home for Bucknell. After a three-game road swing. This day in sports history, then Chris Solari of the Detroit Free Press, who covers Michigan State football. 1929, Providence became the first NFL team to host a game at night. They used floodlights in a game against the Chicago Cardinals. 1948, Gordy Howe of the Detroit Red Wings made the first of his 21 All-Star appearances. 1953, the Rules Committee of Organized Baseball restored the sacrifice fly. The rule had not been used since 1939. What it did was, is that when you drove in a run, they changed the rule back so it would not count as an at-bat. 1972, Joe Namath was featured on the cover of Life magazine. For all the young people out there, you're asking right now, what the heck was Life magazine? 1989, the Minnesota Timberwolves played their first NBA game. They lost the Seattle Supersonics 106-94. The Sonics are now the Oklahoma City Thunder. 1989, Lou Piniella was named the manager of the Cincinnati Reds, replacing the band Pete Rose. Piniella led the Reds to the World Series Championship in 1990. Greg Maddux of the Braves became the first player to win back-to-back Cy Young awards on different teams. He won the Cy Young with the Cubs in 92 and with the Braves in 93. Fleet center, Rose Garden, Sky Dome hosted their first NBA games on the state in 1995. And the great Jerry Rice in 1996 became the first NFL player with 1,000 career receptions. Penn State, Michigan State tomorrow. Spartan Stadium in East Lansing. Big game for the Nittany Lions tomorrow at noon. We'll be on with the and Watson tailgate show tomorrow beginning at 1030. I'm very pleased to be joined by the beat writer who covers Michigan State for the Detroit Free Press, Chris Soleri. Chris, welcome back. It's always great to hear you on the other end.
2: Yeah, great to hear you guys too. Thanks, Steve. Appreciate it.
0: Chris, uh, we saw Michigan State last year, and we see them now. What has changed? Is it getting older, or were there changes?
2: Well, I think a little bit of it is getting older. I think, obviously, Brian at getting a little bit of experience last year helped those two defensive tackles uh, and Mike Panaschuk and Raekwon Williams. They've kind of become disruptors up the middle. So I think that experience has helped. Um, But I think a lot of it, too, is just an attitude change. Um they, they, we, we talked about this before. They've had so many off-sealed issues in the off-season. They, I think 13 different guys um <clears throat> were are gone that could have been uh, uh, back this year. A couple of them went to the NFL, but but eleven of them were either dismissed or left the program. So that's a lot of attrition. But I, I think there, and Mark Antonio has used the phrase "reset" um, quite a bit uh, since the summer, and and I think there was an attitude reset with this this group. I mean, they they saw what happened last year uh, in letting one loss turn into two losses, turn into five losses. Um, and, and that's that's been the key. This team has been able to operate in you know, a one game at a time vacuum, which you know coaches preach that, but but going from preaching to to execution is certainly a, a whole different thing. And maybe this group's a little bit younger and and doesn't know what's ahead of them in in a lot of ways too. So they just stay focused on the task at hand, and I think that's been really the key.
0: Chris, let's get into Brian Lewerke for a moment. He's not only coming off a record-setting performance uh, in the triple overtime game against Northwestern, he's also the second-leading rusher in his team. What has he done in terms of presence, and also what is his movement in the pocket meant to keep plays alive?
2: that's that's really what it is i mean a lot of what he can do with his legs uh helps set up some of the pass. but at the same point they've been using a lot more run pass options and, and really i mean i can't think of back maybe back to drew stanton was the last michigan state quarterback with this kind of mobility where where he could extend plays where he can you can design runs for him whether it's quarterback draws whether it's running a sprint option whether it's it's kind of using that that little sprint out and pull back pass and there's so many different things that will work he's been able to do and you know you see sometimes the the youth in inexperience, he he tends to uh, make some bad decisions in throwing into double coverage and and down the field he's still struggling with his touch on the deep passes Uh, but last week against Northwestern they were they were shooting for them he just overshot receivers a couple times but at the same point you know when the passes are needed to be thrown he's able to hit them i mean they gave him basically the entire out to work with um in that last drive of regulation and he led them down the field in the beginning of the game on the first drive of the game uh he hit a D ball uh to cody white he showed his legs in running for a first down uh, but mostly he's been, he did it with his arm in those two drives. And I, I think that he, he's becoming more comfortable in terms of the passing game. And there were a couple games in there and in, in this mid part of the season where, where coaches were just emphasizing run, run, run and, and didn't allow him to build any type of rhythm. But in that Northwestern game, you saw that what maybe the future lies for Brian working. I mean, he's a guy that can stretch the field if you need him to. He can, he can run it and he can, he can throw it.
0: So let's go I want to get to the wide out group. It's a big it's a big group. I mean in terms of of size. Yeah. Then you had Cody White in there, true freshman who's coming off a 165 yard receiving performance. Another guy with really good size. With White now in there with primarily Stewart and Davis. Has that changed the dynamics of what we're seeing in the Michigan State passing game?
2: I think a little bit. Uh you know, Cody White's a big physical kid for a true freshman. Uh, he's six three. He plays aggressive, and I think what, where he showed up to me most early in the season was in downfield blocking. He, they brought him in specifically uh, on some run plays and some some deeper pass plays to just block. And and he plays with with an edge to him. Um, and now you're seeing a little bit more with speed. You're seeing a little bit more him getting separation and understanding the route concept. I mean, you know, his dad played in the NFL and worked for the Detroit Lions. Sheldon White. He works at Michigan State now as he was there last year as an advisor and they promoted him this year. Uh, but this is a guy that's been around the program. He understands the program for a true freshman, and he understands the concept of what they want a receiver to be in terms of blocking and, and being physical. And the other guys, I mean, Felton Davis is is a big guy, a big target at six uh, four. He knows how to use his body. I think you know he might not have blazing speed, but but he is a a very adept at at creating separation with long arms and and using his, his hind end to to seal off defenders. And Daryl Stewart's become kind of that that um I think back to when Derek Mason was here, you know, twenty some years ago, where you know if you needed a catch, you were throwing the ball to him. And I think that's where Daryl Stewart is right now. He had eleven catches in that game against Northwestern. He's had some big games this year, so those guys are the three top guys. Uh, the other two guys who've really been in the rotation and been Tristan Jackson, who kind of lost his starting job with White's emergence, he's kind of struggled. He was the star of the spring, but he showed some downfield speed. and And the other guy is Hunter Rise Ryzen, and Andre Rise's son. He's He's slowly developing into a little bit more of a role. Uh, But but when you have that many guys, and Cam Chambers is the the sixth guy in that group um, they've been targeting. But but when you have that many guys, I mean, it's options for the work. And I think the one thing that he's done really well this year is spread the ball around to the receivers. Um, You know, I think there was eight or nine guys that he hit in that northwestern game so he's he's got the vision and trust in his receivers sometimes though i think it's just with him in the passing game if he gets a little maybe excited and, and overshoots his receivers and hasn't quite developed that touch just yet uh but you know that is something that comes with experience in
0: games you mentioned the two defensive tackles and how important they've been what have those two guys meant to the linebackers
2: Oh, a ton. I mean, uh, you know, you you think about all the plays that Joe Bocce has been making at the middle linebacker as a sophomore. So much of that is predicated by that push up front by Mike Panashuk and Raekwon Williams. I mean, they're they're true disruptors, and now Naquan Jones is kind of rounding into the mix as the third guy. He had a real uh, impressive game, probably his best game of the season uh, at Northwestern, is just getting in there and and pushing the pocket back. Um, And I think that's allowed... Uh, the linebackers like Bocce and Chris Fry and Andrew Dow to get out in space and make some plays. Now, last week against Northwestern, they were struggling. Um, I think that uh, had nothing really to do maybe with the middle guys. I think that was the lack of edge pressure that Michigan State was getting. And and consequently, the linebackers were mismatched in some coverage situations that Clayton Thorson exposed. Uh, Fry, in particular, was was torched a couple times. And, you know, they had some safety missed assignments and, and help. But, um, you know, I do think that they've helped those those linebackers a ton. And Joe Bocce has been a stud at at linebacker. I mean, you know, he he had some some issues in tackling in in Northwestern that that really have been the rarity, um, you know, for a kid who played a little bit last year as a true freshman, um, and then takes over the the keys of the defense this year. Um he's been a force and he's been he's shown some speed, he's shown some uh, you know agility, he's made some, some forced fumbles and gotten an interceptions. So I mean this is a guy that to to bear watch uh this week.
0: Yeah, Bocce and Fry are two guys that to me are definitions of downhill linebackers. Would that be fair?
2: Yeah, absolutely. I mean, Fry in particular. I mean, sometimes it betrays them and they get a little over aggressive and and they whiff on some tackles. That was that was a, the weird thing seeing Bocce uh, last week, uh, really just whiff badly on a, on a screen pass to Justin Jackson. So I think coming off that game, uh, the job that Jackson did. I mean, everybody knows what Saquon Barkley can do, and I think Justin Jackson's kind of a Saquon Barkley light. And, in in some ways in, in terms of the things he brings to an offense so between between Barkley and Gesicki those two guys are going to be needed to to do a lot more than they did this week um they're going to be required to to play a little bit better in coverage and same with the safeties too i mean if they're going to have to pass off the Gesicki to to those safeties David Dow got picked on quite a bit last week by Thorson, and, and Kari Willis is, is more of your downhill uh, right. kind of safety that Michigan State likes to, against run support. So I, I think that you know th- there's some challenges that are going to be there for this Michigan State team, and we saw what, what uh, McSorley did last year to Michigan State in, at, at Beaver Stadium. I mean, he, he beat them over the top over and over again in that second half, so they're, they're well aware of the challenges that are ahead.
0: I think it's fair to say in the last ten years there have been very few teams in the Big Ten, if not nationally, that have better corner play than than Michigan State does. I've always felt that the really good corner play for Michigan State gave them the option to do whatever they wanted with the other nine guys out there, and that made them very hard to play against. Where's their corner play right now?
2: You know, that's probably one of the areas where they're so far ahead of the curve uh, between – Age and experience and, and production. I do, I do think that the two guys they've been running out there now is the, the primary guys in Josiah Scott and Justin Lane. you're talking a true freshman in Scott, who was a three-star recruit, so he's not. You know, he fell under the radar, but he has played like a five-star recruit this year uh, at the corner spot. And I think he, he got torched on a crossing route. Uh, but had no safety help behind him uh, against Northwestern for that go-ahead touchdown and triple overtime. and But he's been outstanding in coverage. I mean, teams have just not really tried to go his way. And Justin Lane's a big guy that came here as a receiver from Cleveland. He He's a four-star receiver, uh, but they switched him out of need last year to cornerback. And he has become, uh, you know, he's six-two. He's got some length to him. He's got some speed. He's got receiver speed. Knows the routes that receivers like to run. Kind of, he, he's quietly because Scott has been such a force uh, and a surprise. Justin Lane has quietly become uh, another one of those guys, like almost like a Tony Lippett, when they flipped him back over the defensive huh. side, where he's just right. ball hawking and and kind of smothering receivers.
0: Why all the issues on kick coverage? Uh, Because I mean, I mean, you know what it is—they're one thirteen in that department, not a one thirty. Why all the issues? I think some
2: of it has to do with the youth. I mean, that's they, they want to make sure they've, they've, they're they've playing thirteen true freshmen right now, and a number of those kids are playing on on the coverage units. Um Guys like Dom Long and Trey Pearson, and I think Scott's been in on the, the kick cover. So I think some of it's inexperience. Some of it has to do with with the leg of Brett Scanlon. I mean, he hasn't been able to really reach the end zone, so you're seeing fewer touchbacks and not giving his guys enough of a chance to get down there but kick coverage has been an issue for michigan state for a couple years um i I think back to uh, even the 2015 year they go to the college football playoff and you know i think alabama ran a punt back on them uh uh, I know Western Michigan in the opener, Darius Phillips, that year ran one back on him. He ran one back again this year, so he was a known commodity. Um, they, that's been kind of a, an Achilles heel for this this program here for the last couple of years. Uh, but this year in particular, I think that you're seeing it just, some of it's just the youth that they're they're rolling out there, that they feel that they need to get these guys experience, and, and that's the best spot for them right now.
0: Well, your thoughts on Saturday's game?
2: Well, I haven't really thought too, too much ahead. Um, you know, I, I think back to last year and how surprising it was to see Michigan State ahead at halftime in that game. And, and then basically after Damian Terry got knocked out of that game, uh, everything devolved. I mean, it was, it was an emotional letdown to see him get hurt for that team. And then everything just kind of fell apart like the whole season. Um, you know, they, they surprised a lot of people. I think being in that game, so I, I expect it to be a competitive game. I expected, to me, I kind of, I kind of liken it to how the Ohio State game was last year. Nobody gave Michigan State a chance. Uh, against the Buckeyes when they came in here to East Lansing, but you know they summoned up maybe their best performance of the year. And I think this team knows that, that to be competitive with Penn State, maybe not to win, um, because I think that one thing Mark D'Antonio, uh, aside from, from having that, that funny little interaction with the, the telephone at the podium, uh, last week in the Northwestern press conference, I think that you know he he came in there uh, satisfied for a guy that just got out of a triple overtime loss simply because those guys were so competitive and uh, you know managed to get themselves back into the game and maybe showed a maturity beyond their years. So I think that I kind of expect one of the game. I don't know if Michigan State has enough to to really beat Penn State at this point, um, but I think that you know they'll they'll be more competitive than they were a year ago.
0: Uh, One last question, Chris, uh, and this is an aside from what we've been talking about, but you saw Notre Dame in person, and they put together a very good performance that uh, night in East Lansing. What's your thoughts on Notre Dame and seeing how it's playing out for them since you've seen them in person?
2: Well, I think they've matured considerably. Um, I think some of that was due to Michigan State's own issues. I think they shot themselves in the foot quite a bit in that game. Uh, Turnovers really hurt them. Um, I, I think that Notre Dame. I don't think Wimbush was that great in that game either. But I do think that um, <clears throat> as the season has progressed, I think Notre Dame has started to develop their run game. They've they've, they've managed to to be physical on defense, and I, I think to me, um, it, it. I don't want to say it's a surprise, but I think that they've matured maybe a little faster than I thought they would. Um, I, I wasn't overly impressed with them in that game, even though they beat Michigan State by 20, if that makes any sense, because I think some of that was Lewerke mm-hmm. making some mistakes as a young quarterback. But, but hey, sure. Notre Dame, you, you can't argue with the job that they're doing right now in, in improving uh, week by week since that Georgia loss.
0: Hey, thanks so much, Chris. I appreciate all the time you gave us today. I'm looking forward to seeing you Saturday. Anytime, Steve. I'll see you out there. Chris Solari, Detroit Free Press. We thank him very much for his time. He's always been generous with his time for us, whether we're talking Michigan State football or Michigan State basketball. And Chris does an outstanding job with the Detroit Free Press of covering both. High school football tonight, plenty of it across the area. It is playoff time, and we'll have it completely covered for you here on the Sunbury Broadcasting Family of Stations. The one we'll have here on News Radio 1070 WKOK, the award winning Kevin Hur on the call tonight, along with, uh, Dick Hort, the coach. They'll be at, C- at uh, Shikalimi tonight, and the Shikalimi Braves will host Athens this evening in the opening round of the playoffs. Seven o'clock will be the kickoff. Six thirty will be the airtime tonight. Meanwhile, an on Eagle 107 beginning at uh, six o'clock this evening with a seven o'clock kickoff. Sealens Grove will be in action hosting Jersey Shore. I'm Pat O'Brien, Ryan Brandt with a call on that one. And uh, of course, uh, Lewisburg will be at Loyal Sock this evening. That's on 100.9 the Valley. That's a 7 o'clock kickoff and a 6.30 air time. Don't forget on Eagle 107 tonight, Sean Carey, best postgame show anywhere in high school football. Next half hour, Dick Girardi from Del Mar as we continue on News Radio 1070 WKOK.